She said she had to take some personal time. <laughs> yeah, I know. She said she was going to be out of town for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. She said she'd be back. <laughs> Comes back, all like beat up and you know, stuff. It's just like, well, you know, there was a surprising incident near the Romulan neutral zone while you were away. Really? <laughs> what happened? Oh, you know, it was just people reported that there was 200 Romulan warfare. a person who looked a whole lot like you. And <laughs> Really? Well, you know, this was... You can do amazing things with computers these days. Hi, this is Stephanie Watson, also known as Jacori. Welcome to Gen X Replays After the Show podcast, where a guest and I discuss the spoiler-heavy details of a TV show or movie that we've just indulged in. In this episode, Hoot joins me again as we cover Episode 9 of the new series Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. Hey, this is Jacori. I am Hoot. <laughs> And we are here talking Picard's first season, episode nine, the penultimate episode of the 10-episode season. It is called Et in Arcadia Ego, which translates to And in Arcadia I Am, or And I'm in Arcadia. Arcadia is a region of Greece that takes its name from the mythological feature of Arcus, a hunter who became king of Arcadia. And it's said to be the home of the god Pan, who is god of nature, shepherds, flocks, and the wilds, and often associated with sexuality. So there is the the title of the episode, part one. The, the anticipation is that the story they're telling here is just the first part of a two-part story, even though, of course, this episode, this whole season has just been one big story. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it really has. Little piece stories thrown in, but yeah, mostly one big story. But, uh, yeah, they emerge from the transwarp conduit to arrive above a planet that... Soji says it's called Capelius. Capelius, are you like that, yeah. are you familiar with that name or no. any origins? I I did not take time to look that up. Uh, that might be interesting to find out if there's any significance to that particular planet title. Uh, but before they even get on the planet, we get in space battles. Woo! Yes, finally, big space battles. But not, like, even big space battles. It wasn't like like the old uh, Star Trek episodes, you know, like right. starship, starship kind of battles. No, this right. was more like, like, I don't know, smaller patrol craft, fighter-type ba- battles. Mm-hmm. Like, a little more dogfighting. Like, like, instead of, like, two heavyweights, it was, like, two, like, featherweights that really wanted it. And that's what I loved about it. So that what we're talking about is, of course, Narek emerging from the Transor Conduit. And the Snakehead and the La Serena are, I guess, in the same class of ship. I, well, well, not class in terms of make and model, but in terms of size and, and functionality. Well, I, I don't know. Not even that. I think the, the smaller ship, like, 
They set that up like several episodes ago, mm. where they were like the snakehead is very well armed for its size. Yes, that's true. Like it's it's overpowered for its size. And he so, starts attacking them immediately. Yeah, and, he's kind of a uh, jerk yeah. like that. Yeah, he is. I love that move though. He was clever enough to use the cloaking device as a projector. Yeah, that was pretty. Fun. That was interesting. It's like oh, it's been twenty years they've been playing with these toys. Mm-hmm. Like think about our toys twenty years ago. Oh yeah, the things, so much different. The things we can do <laughs> with an iPod today. No, <laughs> We're almost there. Yeah, but yeah, I and we get to see Chris Rios captain that ship in some amazing ways. Like his his technique for flying is. Up there. Like, he didn't even call his holograms to help. It was all him yeah, <laughs> piloting that thing. That was awesome. Well, later in the episode, I feel like we get a much better sense of scale mm-hmm. Yeah. for the size of the ship, too, though. So that's because that's always right, been one of my big right. questions. You know, it's just like, how do we just, you know, we've, we've seen it from the inside and we've mm-hmm. seen it from, from the outside from a distance you know and it's like just how big what is this thing is it like yeah. a, is it like a double decker bus is it a you know is a winnebago like where where are the yeah. engines at you yeah. know once we see them on the ground because these great big orchids take them down to the surface <laughs> turn off all their power and and giant organic power draining things and it's mm-hmm. like normally you know somebody coming in you know if it's a small enough nice enough craft then you know yeah they make it down okay so it's power draining it pretty much knocked out all the systems but it kind of protected the people inside at the same time because right. it brought the ship down in a in a reentry type of situation, something we're more used to in our our real life modern space travel, where the reentry is a turbulent, uh, dangerous, fiery thing mm-hmm. that takes a lot of toll on the body. So they uh, they experienced that uh, going through this, but they were completely safe the, the whole time. Space flowers. Except for the impact at the end. Right. Uh, as long as the body could survive the, the trip, there wasn't any other reasons for them to die, like lack of oxygen or, you know, debris or whatever. Or so, burning up in the atmosphere. Or burning up, yeah. So, um, so we find out later then that these orchids took down them and Narek. But it also took down, or attempted to take down, the Borg reclamation cube. And I guess... Which followed them through the conduit. Well... Or opened their own conduit. They opened their own conduit. So, yeah, because once they are able to meet up with Elnor and Seven again, Seven explains... What was it she said? They were connected... When she was connected... She could see them in the conduit, mm-hmm. uh, and they could see that Narek was following them. So she, or well, she said the snakehead because she didn't know who the pilot was. They opened their own conduit to intercept. That was uh, that was intriguing. Well, that and the idea that they did it uh, apparently when she when she wasn't connected to the yeah yeah. So, well, either that or the timelines overlap there. 
like semi-connected. So she's still, you know, like the Borg are still semi-connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they were able to fly their ship again, then at least somebody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So Rios's ship is out of power, and they've got work to do mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, be functional again. Um, the Borg cube, you know, it, it was intact in terms of the shape, but it hit hard and looked like that was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, like the flowers were not really designed for something that big, apparently. No. At least not in that small of a number. No, but at the same time, it's the Borg technology. They got in, you know, when the La Serena crew came in, they found the XBs, they found Elnor, they found Seven. They were all okay, and they were able to start all the systems on the cube, like long-range scanners. I'm like... They build them tough. They build them tough. The Borg, <laughs> the Borg know their tech, and they have made it, uh, over time, they have made it resistant to <laughs> a sudden landing on a planet, apparently. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, the Borg have had a few landings on planets like that uh, in their history. Well, like, it's one of the things I wonder, though, too, is that while I don't think we've ever seen it in the series, but in at least, I don't know, fictionally, ideologically, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the Borg cube, I mean, could potentially float above. I mean, they can manipulate the, the gravity, the space around their cube well enough that they could potentially just park that thing right over your city and carve it up and take it apart and <laughs> ingest it. And oh, now I'm getting mental images things. from Destiny of the Traveler over the the city, the right. last city. But instead of, you know, <laughs> instead just, of the just Traveler. Carving up, carving up pieces. <laughs> it's a Borg cube. And sucking them up and <laughs> ingesting them, you know? I mean, that's... Mm. totally a thing so Mm. yeah i have been going through uh watching binging the the next generation because as we record this of course we're in this worldwide state of crisis with uh the coronavirus covid19 so we're we're trying to social distance i think now now that has become a common term in parlance uh social distancing but as part of that it's given us lots of time to do things like binge watch old tv shows that we hadn't seen in a while <laughs> so, so what have you seen what are the, the next generation episode you're talking about so i'm about halfway through the second season and um you you talking about carving up uh the the ships the very first i saw q who mm-hmm. or yeah, is it Q-Who? Yeah, yep. the episode where we first meet the Borg because Q decides to throw them two and a half years worth of uh, Warp 10 travel <laughs> um, away from their current position and right into the very first Borg cube that they ever encountered. And it literally carved through the ship. It carved a core sample essentially Mm -hmm. out of the ship and killed 18 people as a result wow yeah i mean when when 
that happened. I thought that was a really good effect. I think that particular effect is kind of stood the test of time. It was really well designed. Oh, just the, the section getting pulled yeah. out of the hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was still uh, really compelling looking at it, you know, all these years later. But uh, that first encounter with the Borg, you know, we've learned so much since then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's absolutely creepy <laughs> right at the beginning uh as as and it just gets creepier after that <laughs> thanks q Jeez, you just were the catalyst to everything what we also find in that episode that q was uh i don't know shunned from the q continuum shun the non-believer shun the non-believer shun, shun. <laughs> Oh, that was fun. Space battle was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rough landing fun. Oh, gosh. And then Picard is passed out. <laughs> right, yeah. right. The whole, um, yeah, listen, um, I'm an old guy. I'm dying anyway, so get over it speech. Was yeah. Pretty, uh, like, yes. It was very Picard. It's uh, like, look, I'm dying. Uh, I'm, an old, I'm, an, I'm an old guy. We all know I've been dying. Well, I mean, we've known that for 20 just, years. Just don't bring it up. <laughs> Yeah, just try not to talk about it. Which was an interesting parallel to um, another episode I saw. Well, I saw that other episode recently that had uh, the heart transplant. Okay. Where Picard had to get a new heart to replace the one he had originally got when he was shot through the chest (laughs) with an arrow. (laughs) Was it an arrow? No, he got stabbed through the chest. Oh, stabbed through the chest. He had something sticking out of his chest anyway. Yeah, a Nausicaan knife. (laughs) That that comes up later. Yeah. I I can't remember which season that one comes up again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the first time we find out about it is when he has to have that transplant done and almost dies. And he made the similar kind of speech, you know, to the people who learned about the situation. So, oh, let's see. They used the long-range scanners to determine exactly how many Romulans were coming. Something like 200 and some odd ships, a fleet of 200 and some odd ships. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as some approximate time it was going to take them to get there. Because they're not using transwarp conduits. Uh, <laughs> fortunately. Uh, fortunately. Or unfortunately, we don't know yet, do we? <laughs> right. So Soji, when she's on the board cube, they don't spend a lot of time on it, but they actually show her picking up that photo of her and Dodge. And I think that's a good prelude to, you know, going into the scent, the city of synths mm-hmm. and seeing the fact that everyone is a pair. Everyone is a twin except two people. Soji who's lost Dodge and uh, Sutra mm-hmm. who has lost Jana. So they're the only ones when they arrive that aren't twins. <laughs> they look a lot alike, but you know, like so variations the, on a different model. That's, yeah. that was one of the interesting things I saw in that whole scene was, mm-hmm. you know, varying degrees of humanoid sense. And then you had some human scent, like some human, approximate sense mm-hmm. you know, like, like yeah uh sutra having you know the skin like data and the eyes like data right right you know the coloration in general was more like data 
mm-hmm. but obviously at this point more advanced than data. Mm-hmm. While you had further models where you you could kind of look at it and see the development of the spe- of the species essentially, yeah, you know, the model, yeah, throughout the different synths that were there. You know, it's yeah. like look, this is the 1955 Corvette. Now here's the 1970 Corvette. <laughs> now here's the 1990 Corvette. We try to ignore that one. The uh, you know, <laughs> like on and on, and because some of the synths that we saw were more like the synths that. Uh, Synth, this, I, why can I not, I feel like I'm saying synth, that word funny. Synthetics. I don't say, I don't Androids. say synth enough in common parlance to get used to saying I know. it a whole lot. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, the, uh. Of course, in the 80s, when we said synths, we meant synthesizers. Guitars. Guitar, <laughs> well. <laughs> no, not just guitars. Yeah. You had those guys that had those racks that were like, you know, eight different keyboards all mm-hmm. stacked I'll do. That was just, that was normal. That was like, a normal part of like a band in the 80s. Pilot from Farscape. <laughs> so I've got, I grew two extra arms. No, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the different models, different things. It was like mm-hmm. the, the, the synth from the attack on Mars. Some of them were there. You know, so there's like everybody that survived managed to find their way home. Oh, I mean, I wrote down that before that Elnor ends up staying with Seven to and they're I guess committed to continuing to help the XBs mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't know where their story is going to take them but I suspect that we're going to see uh, that they're not going to be the center of attention for a little while I'll be interested to see what happens in the last episode because they're still kind of stuck on the planet at the moment uh, yeah. Until the the cube get, has the ability to go somewhere, or some other cube comes to pick them up, which would be bad. I mean, unless it was another liberated cube, because otherwise it would be you know the Borg showing up, which we haven't seen or heard <laughs> anything from them. Apparently, I don't know how much we've seen or heard from the Borg at mm-hmm. this point. Apparently, not a lot. Uh, and I had a question in my head. Do you think while Seven was connected to the cube that she got hints of this admonition that essentially broke the cube? I guess it's possible. It'd be interesting to, to know if, uh, if that was the case, because that certainly occurred to me. Or if it was something that was so compartmentalized that, that it didn't get recorded, you know, like... Yeah. They're running all their incoming traffic through a buffer, and if it breaks the buffer, then it gets lost in the buffer when the buffer crashes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, like a fail-safe, essentially. Yeah, yeah, a firewall where it's like, okay, they might have <laughs> broke the wall, but uh, yeah, they didn't leave anything once we fixed it. Oh, and um, and then we see Brent Spiner, and it is awesome. Yay! I was so excited when we saw the credits and it. It listed him as a, a guest star, and I'm like, yes. In the Red opening Spider. credits. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he introduces himself as Dr. Alton Inigo Sung. Alton. He says his father had him, but he but he created Data, and he never let him forget it. <laughs> Which, that was, honestly, if there was anything so far, that would be probably one of the most jarring things. Like, just, what, what, what? Sung had a son. Right. Like, never told <laughs> he him. He had an actual I mean, son, but like then again, organic. You know, the 
guy also spent a huge chunk of his life running around hiding from everybody mm-hmm. and doing things that might have been kind of on the sketchy side illegal. And we're still assuming that and he came Song from a is, family uh, of mad scientists who tended to kind of run around and do things that were kind of on the sketchy side illegal. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <clears throat> well, we find uh, out, you know, it's like father, like son around there. So. <laughs> I come from a long line of mad scientists. Oh, wait, yeah, that's right, war criminals and... and uh, he introduced himself as a mad scientist. And <laughs> res- responsible for attempted genocides and things, yeah. Uh-huh. That is true. But no, it's fun to see them bring in Brent again. Mm-hmm. It's good to see him. Well, I mean, the guy's been playing, you know, he played Sung, he played Data, he played Lore, he played all the various incarnations of people that they got to play. Yes. And, Played them at different ages, even. Mm-hmm. You know, and the so so to see this now is just like, I mean, he played Sung's dad. Yeah. Yeah, you know, or, or I mean, there's just or no, he played Sung. He played. I mean, he's just played so he's, many yeah. different characters related to that. Yeah, yeah. That. And lore and before, of course. Right. So so for now, for him to come in and play. <laughs> I love Data's half brother. You know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, I long for for those moments like Fistful of Datas where you get to see Brent play <laughs> contrasting characters all Multiple in the same place. Characters on the same page. You know? <laughs> I love it. Yes. Sung uh, yeah. Frank. Sung is very sympathetic to Soji, telling her she can't be expected to keep a secret she doesn't even know she has. So I think immediately Soji is seeing a paternal type of figure in Sung as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, she was developing that type of relationship with Picard, and I think she still feels that way about Picard, but now she's with family. You know, now she's with the people who knew where she was from. Well, and just the weird compartmentalization of how much information she needs to know Mm -hmm. that's already in her own head. Right, right. Like, okay, uh, (coughs) cover's blown. Mm -hmm. See, that's one of those other things that I I find interesting in 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 these characters in a character study kind of way. Is you've got Narek. Mm-hmm who is genuine, I, I think he is in his own twisted, crazy, psychotic, Zotvash way. He loves her. Mm-hmm. But he's still, you know, he's still a piece of shit about it. Yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, like... I love that they called him the asshole ex. <laughs> right. And, but she is like, okay, here's how much, you know, she's, her whole brain and part of her own character study a character progression i guess is just the Mm -hmm. okay here's what i thought i was yeah but then okay oh suddenly i'm in a situation where i'm in a room full of radiation i guess i've just punched through the floor and you know take out 18 romulans by hand and Mm -hmm. you know like okay there's a different skill set but then it's memories now she's you know the closer she's gotten to home it's all memories and Mm -hmm. so it's, it's literally as if she's lying the same way he was yeah, it's true. I mean, maybe not exactly the same way, but I mean, just just morally speaking, or, or character and morally speaking, it's like she so so she she almost empathizes, I think, with him. Like, mm-hmm. well, uh, it's interesting because he still apologizes for taking her through 
and well, this comes up later because they they find him, but um, he he's still apologizing for taking her through that meditation, and for doing what he did to try to get her to read herself, to question herself. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that ended up being a good thing for her because it protected her. She learned who she was in a way that was not violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it did trigger her at the end, but he triggered her. She was still learning about herself without being triggered until that moment that he decided he was going to try to kill her. Mm-hmm. So um, so it ultimately be, ended up being a good thing for her to find out her truth about herself in a way that eased her being self-aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still pretty gross and creepy, though. Yeah. I don't know. I love you. I love. I love you. That's why I'm. Li- I know I'm lying to you, and I know I'm gonna have to kill you, but I love you. Mm-hmm. And because she would read it, that was the other thing too. Though I think that's one of those things they've been playing into with the whole androids thing and, mm-hmm. and the data thing is that you know he can tell when people are lying based on all their different tells that yes. people have. So it's like to get past tells, you have to have experience. You know the the ability to show. So in order, in order to convince her. To give, give up what she did mm-hmm. to, to, to dig into her mind even more better than she knew herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew the whole time, you know? Yep. So, so in a sense, he was, he yeah, he still deceived her the whole time. But he deceived yeah. her by wrapping the lie around a truth. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then... So, so looking through it, there was always the truth in the in the yes, he loves her, mm-hmm. in his crazy Zadvash psychopath way. Oh, is he really Zadvash, or is he just Zadvash. is or is he just Tal Shiar with a sister who is Zadvash, who's yeah. getting him to do her bidding? Could so because be. we did see that the Zadvash in the last episode were all female, right? So. It could be that the males are just doing their bidding. We like, don't know. We he, don't know. He could be like uh, Elnor, except for the, like, like he he can't be, uh, uh, what's the name of their, the ninja The Kowatmalot. Kowatmalot, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, he can't be Kowatmalot because he, he's male. Right, but he can be trained and serve. Right, and yeah. maybe maybe Narek is the same. Like he, It could be. He can't. You can't be in our club. We can use you and we can teach you, but you mm-hmm. can't be in our club. Oh, uh, which kind of brings us to that, uh, I don't know, the the various, we, we, we talked about the various different androids because apparently they are all androids. Mm-hmm. We meet Sutra. We meet, uh, we, we find, you know, we see Rios react to her by saying Jana, mm-hmm. and we find out at that moment that Jana was Sutra's twin so sutra has been on this planet for some amount of time without her sister and knowing what happened to her sister so she has evolved almost a revenge arc within her mm-hmm. did you sense that yes okay yeah i i, I picked that up pretty quickly i yeah. like is why she wouldn't trust people organics why yeah. Mm-hmm. Why things, you know, it's it's definitely a strong motivation for why she does what she does. At mm-hmm. least some of what she does that we know of. 
But she gives us that big reveal about the admonition right up front. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a Vulcan enthusiast, so she she knows the mind meld technique, uh, which is which I thought was interesting. Yes, that was I thought that was interesting as well. I was like, wait a second, so an android can learn to Vulcan mind meld? Mm. Okay, which you know, for a long time we've we've had to. We've wondered about the science behind the the mind meld. You know, mm. what is actually happening? It's it is some kind of communication, but it's not. You know, it, it has a very specific purpose, mm-hmm. uh, and it has to be done in a very specific way. So it's not like you know the Betazoids who can just you know uh, talk. Uh, telepathically, you know. Right, they so, can, yeah, they can talk to each other in their own heads. But. Right. Um, but the mind meld had a very specific technique uh, associated with it, and it was a very um, physically and mentally intense process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's learned this process and uses it on Agnes and sees a very different rendition of the admonition than we got from the Jat Vash. We just got pictures of the Jat Vash. This time we get the entire story, like, told. Mm-hmm. Like, she understands the words. I took a few notes on what she saw and what, what the message was. Let me see if I can go over that. It suggests that the sense... So the Jat Vash had suggested that the sense would bring destruction for all organics, but this says that, okay, the organics create the sense in an effort to be more perfect, you know, that pursuit of perfection. Mm. But then they hate that perfection and want to destroy it, but what they end up doing instead is just destroying each other, leaving the sense, (laughs) I guess. Mm. That is really the the most abbreviated way I can try to describe that message, but in their in their pursuit to destroy the sense, they just destroy each other, leaving the sense. But at the end of the message, and this is what we learn later, there's a couple of things we get a message about the fact that there's a, an alliance of synthetic life that is quote beyond the boundaries of time and space. Not even really quite sure why that phrase was chosen. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they're watching and waiting for these predicted scents to summon them. And they leave a subspace signal. We find out later from Sung that they're planning to create a, a booster to send out that signal um, to, I guess, summon this supposed... Uh, group of synths. Cosmic spanding mm-hmm. coalition of synthetic life forms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right at the end, the very last thing on the recording is, or on the message is your evolution will be their extinction. So that was a very different message than what the Jat Vash got out of it. Right. Like the Jat Vash got out of, okay, yes, the synths are here to destroy us, but we got this message to try to prevent that from happening. Whereas I guess, I guess what Sutra is saying is it's inevitable that it's going to happen because these race of other scents are going to come help us. (laughs) Well, but 
that to me and that's where the important kind of distinction comes in is uh-huh. because they need them to because otherwise they feel threatened they feel right. hunted they feel they've been running for mm-hmm. whatever you know and in the case of the zatva it's like okay here's here's here was the warning mm-hmm. the warning was this sooner or later you're going to create artificial life mm-hmm. and when you do don't be a dick about it because we will come kick you right in the nuts <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Like, that was the warning. That was the Mm -hmm. whole point. And instead, these people took it like, we need to kick them in the nuts all day, every day to stop the destroyer from coming. (laughs) Yep. No, you missed the... (laughs) missed the point. Yeah. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, They even... Yeah. I mean, there's a whole area of their culture, I guess, around that. But that means that for however many... Thousands of years, generations, whatever. This the whole, the exclusive school of the Zadvash. Once again, mm-hmm. low graduation, turn, <laughs> you know, high turnover, low graduation rate. And now they're like, guess what? Yeah, it's all snake oil. You've been completely misreading the whole. What scenario. was it I said? It, it was like uh, it was like the prophecy that was misinterpreted. Right, a prophecy mm-hmm. that misinterpreted me. Oh, so we're gonna get <laughs> yep. demonetized. Wait, we're not monetized. <laughs> But no, like just that that whole thing, like like hey, we got this message, and you know it'll drive you mad, it'll drive you crazy. Well, then maybe you need to study the language a little longer, you know, <laughs> right? Before you go making snap, galaxy changing, <laughs> government spanning decisions. Oh goodness! Wow, <laughs> oh, so there's so many great conversations in this, and I wanted to mention the one conversation that really triggered one of the Next Generation episodes was Agnes and Sung talking, where, you know, Agnes talks about the fact that she didn't even have the courage to go with Bruce. Mm -hmm. But then Sung admonishes her for what she did to Bruce and offers her the chance to make it up for it by giving a life, at which point he shows her his latest project. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, as part of that, says he has a renewed interest in mind transfer. Mm-hmm. So that that harkened back to, and I actually looked up the specific episode because I've been watching them and not keeping track of which one I'm on. <laughs> Who remembers all this? Some people remember all this. I'm not one of those people. I have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But I recently saw The Schizoid Man in season two. It's episode six. Where Dr. I, Dr. Ira Graves, who has a terminal condition, uses a mind transfer to take over data. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Graves had known Dr. Noonien Sung, who is, of course, Alton's father, uh, as we believe this to be, uh, and claims he taught Sung everything he knows, so he had asked Data to call him grandfather. So that whole episode was this you know, mind transfer that had happened, but was kind of going terribly wrong because Graves was completely taken over data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't want to lose data <laughs> to Graves. Uh, but they found a way to transfer Graves' uh, intelligence, which is what he was actually wanting to preserve was just his knowledge. They found a way to put that into the ship's computer. 
Uh, but Graves himself, personality-wise, was gone. So I'm interested uh, in how that's connected. I, I would suspect that what Alton is working on is further research on that same line that Graves was working on. What do you think? Yeah, probably putting his mind into a immortal body. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's probably his ultimate goal here. Mm-hmm. And it soon mentions a certain sense of urgency. So I have to wonder, you know, is he talking about urgency for himself because he's getting older or for Picard because he knows he's in a terminal condition or, you know, is, is does he have a specific person in mind other than himself or is, or is this for himself? That, that wasn't clear to me. What, what was your yeah. impression? I, I think he just wants, I think he's trying to extend his own life. That's mm. my, my guess, but. I could be wrong. That would make sense. I mean, you know, Graves did that soon. He might be worried uh, about the, you know, fleet of Romulan warbirds on its way. <laughs> that's that as well, quite. But yeah, there's. Yeah, I think that's probably. It looks like that's kind of been his long-term goal. Mm. That's my guess. Yeah. Then again, I just met the guy. <laughs> All this time, didn't know. Like you had another data. You didn't tell us you had a stepbrother. Half brother, you did not ask. <laughs> you don't if, if you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. How can you ask? Uh, we see. <laughs> yeah, I had to. Oh, there's there's two big acting shout outs I wanted to to give in in this particular episode. We Will Wheaton in this week's Ready Room echoed my own thoughts in his interview with Issa Briones, who plays Soji and. Daj and Sutra and Jana and whoever else looks like her. Uh, <laughs> well, not Jana in person because we have not seen her. But uh, but she does an amazing amazing job creating two different characters. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the effort that Brent made to make Lore and Data so mm-hmm. very different we see that same kind of contrast that Issa has created between Soji, Soji and Sutra. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, she's done just a, a fabulous job making me completely convinced that they're two completely separate characters. Beyond just the makeup, they really are two characters. I do not look at each of them separately and think, oh, that's Issa. Mm. I, I look at them as Sutra and Soji, you know, completely different. So she does a great job with that. The other shout out I wanted to make was for Harry Treadaway. Harry Treadaway is the guy who plays Narek. Mm-hmm. Um, he played the distraught prisoner, the regretful lover, the scheming Tal Shiar, the fire-blooded Romulan, uh, pretty much all the aspects of those sometimes at the same time, sometimes like right back to back with each other Mm. and all so convincingly, it was hard to know which, which is Narek or are all of those Narek? Yeah, no, I mean, either that or that's just what he does. He he puts on whatever face is needed for the moment. But I, I still, I sociopath. (laughs) A sociopath who can't uh, separate truth from the lies that he's told. 
I, I feel like he's starting to get confused. Does he love Soji, really? Or is he kept up this facade for so long that he thinks he loves Soji? Well, or what's his ultimate motivation? I mean, we don't know. Like you said, he, he may be, he may just be Tal Shiar. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. I guess General uh, Commodore, what's her name? Uh, oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing her career in Starfleet's probably over, <laughs> just based on the... <laughs> Well, that the the word trailers and everything else so far. Yeah, the the I don't know if the word's gotten back yet, but we we will see. Like, where's General uh, General Oh or no General uh, Commodore Commodore Where's Commodore Commodore Oh no, she uh she said she had to take some personal time. (laughs) Yeah, no, she said she was going to be out of town for like a week or two. Mm -hmm. She said she'd be back. (laughs) <laughs> comes back all like beat up and this stuff is just like well you know there was a surprising incident near the Romulan neutral zone while you were away really <laughs> what happened oh you know just people reported that there's 200 Romulan warbirds person who looked a whole lot like you and <laughs> really well you know this is, do amazing things with computers these days. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just saying, like, she's just like, what, she's gone? What happened? Oh, I picked a hell of a time to take her vacation. Can we get a hold of her? No. <laughs> call her up. Call her up. Hello? Hello? Yes? Yes? This is General. General? Uh, uh, no. No. This is, I told you never to call me here. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, something. Seeing a lot of strange readings on our sensors here. It looks like there's a fleet. Of Romulan warbirds apparently bombarding a planet in the middle of eight Well, seven. Picard does make that call. Uh, we, <laughs> we get no suggestion of whether or not it has been received, but he does try to call and say they have a first contact situation, and he talks about the... Or, or does he mention the Romulan fleet? Uh, yeah, he mentions the Romulan fleet, I think, uh, coming to, to destroy people that he's with so yeah uh we don't get a response from starfleet but he's at least making that effort to try to to let them know what's going on and i feel like that's kind of like kind of the thing with picard you know it's like it's not about having the biggest gun because there's always a bigger gun Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of where this story seems to be headed is it's like listen if you guys would just sit the sit down and quit pointing your guns at each other Maybe we could talk this out. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. We are going to destroy them because they're going to destroy the universe. Well, <laughs> we're going to destroy your universe because you want to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we want to destroy you first. Well, if you didn't want to destroy us first, we wouldn't be trying to destroy you now. It's like, yeah, but you're trying to now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, circular reasoning. You know, and so it's like, <laughs> it's like Picard's like, listen, but, but that's the thing is for each and every one of them. It's like if you tell them one side, it's like, listen, you guys need to stop fighting. They're not going to pew, 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 pew. Oh, you guys shot them because they were not looking because they were paying attention to me. Damn. Mm. But at the same time, you tell the other ones, it's like, listen, you guys don't need to try to kill them because trying to kill them is what's going to kill you. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> we're going to do it anyway, just in case. Because we ain't going out like that. You know, and it's just blind circular reasoning all the way around. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's just the, the thing I'm getting here, you know. We see the way they reveal the plan that Sutra seems to be pushing for the solution to all this uh, is that 
you know, we get bits and pieces of it through the fact that she's told Soji and we see Soji's reaction before we know what the plan is. And of course, Soji wants to know, you know, is there a plan that won't result in the loss of thousands of lives? And uh, Sutra's got a one-track mind. She's She's not being creative. She's like, we're going to call these people. They're going to help us. Right. So. Um, but not just thousands of lives. Mm. Maybe millions, maybe billions of lives. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know the. Uh, we don't know the scale. Right. And and the, the, maybe they've got their own sort of prime directive where it's like, okay, listen, once they've hit the point where there's synthetic life that can decode our message and send us a signal, that means that they're very very you know they very very intelligent they would have had to have hit these certain benchmarks to be able to get here mm-hmm. and if they're calling for our help then we're just going to go shoot everybody that doesn't like them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we've been there before uh, my sister got shot one time on a starship you know what mm-hmm. i mean like like the that building of experience that that i mean well, she, you, know, you guys yeah. got yeah because sutra when she talks to the sense or when she talks to the crowd, essentially, you know, she's trying to rile them up against organics because of what organics have done to them mm. based mm. on her own experience observations. Yeah. But if you look at most of the village, mm-hmm. they've never met an organic before. Right. The only organics than, they've so, met are the ones that just came in. And so Maddox. Maddox, yeah. So when she, but she has, mm-hmm. or at the very least her sister did. Mm-hmm. And thus we go back to, you know, Soji and Dodge with like, you know, they've both, they didn't know they were getting sent out for that mission. Or if they did, as soon as they, who knows? It's like, listen, you'll know exactly what you're doing until you get outside the orbit of the moons. <laughs> and then you're going to completely forget what you're doing and think of something else entirely. You'll basically be a different person. <laughs> and you will live a life and you will have memories and all this other stuff. But once you start getting closer to home, you're going to start remembering your deep cover it's like hypnosis, mm-hmm. you know? It's like we're creating, like, the Manchurian candidate, but different. <laughs> yeah, it's a good comparison. You know, it's like they have to, once they get closer to home, they start remembering more about why they were there and where to mm-hmm. go next. And now it's like, uh, yeah, my sister got killed, and everybody's been trying to shoot at me for, like, three weeks straight now mm-hmm. for some reason. So, yeah, sure, fuck them, let's kill them all. <laughs> you know, just, right. I don't she... know them. <laughs> Shit, I don't know me. Why am I worried about them? Well, and of, of course, universe off the map. Sutra seems to be looking at it from the larger perspective. She doesn't see this as a, a plot that a specific group put into place uh, who was trying to trigger this They, you know, at, at a specific time. She doesn't see that, that part of the picture. She's, it's hard to say that she's clouded by emotions given that she's an android, but she is kind of clouded by emotions. <laughs> yeah, would seem to be. Yes. <laughs> oh, we see a synth cat. Spot two. Spot two. Spot two. Named after Data's original cat spots. Is it like spot two? <laughs> How do you spell that? Is it all one word or is it just like... Well, the, um, the closed captionings had spot and the Roman numeral two. Uh, spot the second. Spot. The second. So Chris and Agnes have a moment where Agnes says she wants to stay and help soon. And Chris says he needs to go work on his ship. You know, that's not like a, a final goodbye thing. It's just a, 
okay, I'm going to stay at the house. You go <laughs> work on your ship for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're far enough away from the ship that it's a, you know, there's this, they, they need to make sure that they know, hey, you know, it's going to take me a day to turn this around. So, so um, and Raffi and Picard have a moment. And that is just, <laughs> it's so Picard. Mm-hmm. It really is because... She knows him so well. She knows that he doesn't want to hear words of affection or, you know, shows of affection at all. And, of course, he had that big speech at the beginning of the episode about his whole health and everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she tells him she loves him in that, you know, friendship, you know, long-standing friendship, deep uh, love kind of way. But with apologies because she thinks she's breaking the rules. Mm She's so funny in that moment. And then before Picard walks away, he says he loves her too and just walks off. <laughs> as, as, like you do. I mean, like he does. You know, that's, that's so Picard. So Picard. So we've got uh, Rafi and Chris going back uh, uh, to the ship, uh, Chris Rios, and they've got a device that is apparently going to help them fix their ship. Kind of super magic, some space magic android (laughs) healing device thing. Something. I'll be interested to see how that thing works. What if they end up merging the ships with like the board cube and it all turns into sort of like (laughs) a big cyber like robot, like Mecha Godzilla or something. (laughs) That would be awesome. And... Because the board cube, you can make like 80 Mecha Godzillas, but... I can mm-hmm. be wrong. That's just a number off the top of my head. I can't. <laughs> but it'd be cool, wouldn't it? 80 Mecha Godzillas. Borg inspired Mecha Godzillas. There you go. Green atomic fire. Uh, it's a very different uh, type of assimilation right there. And then after, you know, half of them have been wiped out, and then at the end, they'll all stop to be love me, love me. All the Godzillas. Starships flying in, fireworks. <laughs> Thank you for watching Picard. <laughs> Picard and fireworks. Uh, so yeah. as part of executing uh, the plan, we find out that Sutra and Sung both want this plan. Um, yeah, but I think Sung really wants to get put into an android body first. Yeah, you, you might be right. I'm kind of feeling that one. Yeah. He, he wants that mind transfer. He's like, listen, how quick, hey, Doc, how quick can we get that mind transfer thing done? Uh-huh. Why? What's the rush? No reason. So that's why, no yeah, reason. and he needs Agnes to help him with it. Hey, so. what's with that beacon for signaling, you know, the destroyer that I helped you build the other day? Oh, nothing. We're just, you know. <laughs> Just, you know, cleaning it up real, you know, shining it up real, mm-hmm. we don't, um, why? Oh, I don't know. It just seems like maybe you turned it on the end of the world is coming. No, no, I will make you think that. But so- Soji was conflicted. I mean, before we find out about all this, she's asking Picard questions that's got Picard on alert, you know? Like mm-hmm. she's questioning whether or not, you know, there's a logic in sacrifice and... Uh, she identifies fear as being the opposite of logic and talks about, you know, killing being, you know, what, what happens when killing is the only way to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Picard is, is certainly alarmed at this point uh, and trying to comfort her. 
trying to kind of provide his perspective, but it's, it's clear that after Soji goes down to talk to Narek, that she's made up her mind because Narek, you know, kind of throws out his threat about, you know, yes, I love you, but, you know, you're getting ready to be destroyed along with everything on this planet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it sounds like Soji's kind of made up her mind. And so everything starts uh, spiraling and we see Sutra go talk to Narek and make some kind of deal that we don't know. We don't know what kind of deal she makes with him, but she lets him go. Mm-hmm. But he also kills one of the other androids right. in his escape. We assume that he's the one that kills her. We assume, yeah, we because, assume that he was the one that did it. Might because they they show like him looking at her pendant, which is what we found in her eye later. Saga was her name. Well, and it's she. It almost seems like she made a she made some deal with him, but I think the ultimate goal was to start the fight. Yeah, I think you're right. Like if he was still in the cage, still capable of being questioned, still you know. Nobody had died yet, and they were like, listen, the only choice we have is to wipe them out. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, well, well, because otherwise we're going to have to give him food and water, and that's just a drain on our resources. <laughs> no, they had to have the, he, he killed her. Yeah, he killed her, and then he ran away, and he's planning to kill us all. He killed her, he'll come get all the rest of us too. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's summon the destroyer. You know, it's just a... <laughs> You know, that, that's just my take on it. I, I feel like that's why she did what she did. Because she's got her personal vendetta. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say personal vendetta. But she's got her, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. We don't know enough about her at this point. We just met her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, her actions so far seem to indicate that she's pretty determined to have this happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we've been here developing, uh, developing cool androids for, you know, a couple of decades now. You know, we haven't built a lot of weapons. Mm-hmm. You know what? They've got a lot of weapons. <laughs> In fact, there's and a people. whole flotilla coming here right now mm-hmm. uh, to, to destroy us all. And we don't have any guns. So we need to find somebody who's got a gun, like a really big gun, really quick. Oh, look, how convenient. Here's a super weapon. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, how do we get people convinced to use this super weapon? Uh, we might have to sacrifice somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it's, at what point does that become okay? And see, that's I think that's the distinction is you've got the older, essentially the older android that lost her sister, you know, 14, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now you've got, and, and under totally different circumstances, you know, sort of thing, but, but equally violent mm-hmm. um, and bigoted. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then the next time you meet somebody, guess what? Somebody else who's based, you know, a newer model than you, but she went out in the world for this exploratory, you know, scientific thing. And guess what? Her sister got killed too. Guess what? They all do that to us all the time. Let's kill them. Mm-hmm. Done. Like, you know, and they're coming solved. after them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Picard tries hard to convince Sung and Sutra and Soji. That this is not the right path. Uh, and then soon puts him on house arrest. <laughs> to keep him from talking to everybody else. Mm-hmm. In, in Picard's way. <laughs> well, Who was it that called him the speech maker? I can't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but he likes to make you know these 
moving speeches and comments to try to change someone's mind. And, and uh, yeah, Sung wants to put an end to that pretty quick. So he sets him on house arrest and has him taken away. So that's kind of how his part ends here. Um, so we know that Rafi and Rios are fixing the ship. We know um, that Seven, Elnor, and the XPs are trying to get going again because they... Trying to get their weapons and shields, weapons, shields, and engines back up in that order, I think. Right, so they can kind of defend, fight and defend. And, uh, Narek is running off somewhere (laughs) with whatever Sutra told him before he left. And... Car stuck on house arrest. Agnes is probably going to be helping uh, Alton Sung with this uh, mine transfer project. I think you're right. I think this is this is why he wants her there. Mm-hmm. Why you know the expectation. And we can assume that they've already put that beacon up and started making the call. So whatever giant synth consciousness that's out there waiting for the flare to go up. Mm-hmm. Right at the end, we see a Romulan commander telling this captain that they have 24 hours to landfall. So time-wise, we're looking at a day uh, of time before they will arrive at this planet. Mm-hmm. So ah, it should be yeah. fun. It's it's a good it's a good cliffhanger. I mean, it's not quite. It's not like. Quite like, you know, the best of both worlds kind of cliffhanger. Mm, right. You know, but it, it's not that style. But then I, I appreciate it because it is, but it's not. I don't know. It's kind of wild. Like just the, the setup have been so. It's like one long story told. And, and not, when I say long, I don't mean like, oh, it's one long story. I mean, it's like one story that's being told in multiple short stories. Mm-hmm. And, and cross, you know, filling in the blanks as we go kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I really think the writers did an excellent job parceling out all the details across the season. Uh, the order that they revealed things, uh, as well as you know the foreshadowing that they put into place that you don't even realize is foreshadowing until you get all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's. I I thought they did a brilliant job with it this season and I hope that that will continue into the next season. I know they spent a long time developing this show and sometimes when you're approved for a second season suddenly you have to turn that energy around and keep the momentum going into a second season but you may not have as much time to put it all together uh, Mm. because the the initial production may have may have been a little bit longer than what you would have for a second season so I'll be interested to see if that momentum continues uh, into their second season, I imagine it will. And I, I imagine bringing in, you know, more of our familiar faces from the next generation will help as well. Because mm-hmm. they could still be out there. Yeah. It's oh, the... very. Uh, we've already heard so... that they're going to try to bring Guinan uh, because of the the promise that. Uh, that Sir we Patrick saw between on the TV. Patrick and, and uh, Whoopi talking on The View. So I, I have no doubt that uh, that we're going to see Guinan in some capacity. Uh, and possibly Q. I mean, the, mm. the two of them are kind of linked a little bit in the fact that they have a lot of 
<laughs> history. <Yeah. laughs> so. And we have seen, I mean, well, they, they've mentioned Worf and Geordi. Yes. You know, O'Brien, we, well, we can assume O'Brien's still out there somewhere. <laughs> like maybe what if they just end up having to stop by Deep Space Nine? Or maybe we get O'Brien's uh, kit, Molly. So we, yeah. And of course, you. we were talking about the fact that, you know, Riker was on uh, active reserve. So we may even see him in episode 10. Who knows? Right. Like in that, that classic Star Trek, and not just Star Trek, but that's just that classic sort of like, all is lost. What should we do? Oh. Everyone brace for death. Brace for death. You hear they come over the hill. Or except in this case, it'd be popping out of warp. You know, sir, there's another ship coming in. Let's zoom, 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 zoom. Right. Which I still love. I, I love the the refinement of the uh, the warp transitions. It's a little bit more like the Star Wars hyperspace uh, coming in and out of hyperspace. Yeah. And also portrayed more in sort of the like the J.J. Abrams style with Star Trek, like the the Kelvin timeline Star Trek kind of. You know, before it was always that kind of long, <laughs> slow fly by the camera, you know, or or yeah. long kind of quick turn fly by the camera, and then like mm-hmm. they like 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 we're a uh, set of course. Well, well, should I make the standard right hard turn? Yes, make the standard right hard turn before we go into warp. <laughs> Set course so that we make the hard right. So we can use the same graphic that right. we always use. <laughs> right. Just that sort of, you know. Yes. Like, this is just how it works. It's like, sir, they're getting ready to go to warp. Quickly, aim to the left, right over here. They're going to be there in just a second. You know, it's just sort of. But no, I love this new, just that. Just like an mm-hmm. like somebody letting go of an arrow. Mm-hmm. You know, just that zip and they're done. They're gone. Mm-hmm. I find that to be much more entertaining at this point. Well, we've learned a lot. Uh, you know, this. You know, anyone out there who has not seen the um, William Shatner piece on um, the science that was inspired by Star Trek, I can't remember the the actual name of it. Uh, it's William Shatner is is kind of hosting it, mm-hmm. but it's interviews with various people who are working on technologies that are related to or inspired by technologies that were on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And certainly the concept of the warp drive has inspired a lot of thought into, is this actually possible? What can we do that's related to this? Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if some of the research, the actual real science that's come out of things like that, has influenced in turn, the science fiction to bring in realistic uh, situations like we see in The Expanse, for example, because mm. The Expanse uh, has such a dedication to being true to what it's like to be out in space. Anyway, thanks uh, for talking through this episode. I am so <laughs> anxious to hit episode 10 and... You know, I can't believe we've we've done nine of these podcasts now. We have one more of this series to go. And I I feel like we could do a full 20-some-odd episode thing and never get tired of talking about this because it's so, so good. Such well, good that's writing. What the, that's what the revisited episodes are for. You know, go back and re-watch it during the hiatus and say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, going back and look, watching the season through, knowing how the season ends, you end up picking up more. Right. Yeah. yeah See I'm a lot more where that. they, cause, cause just the little pieces they've thrown in there. Like, I, I feel like somebody who was a casual observer would have forgotten that, uh, his doctor told him that the trip would probably kill him. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And now he, here we are, you know, hard maneuvers. And because we haven't seen a dog fight up until this point, you know, we've seen him jump into warp and coming out of warp. You know, we've seen a little him bit man- of dog fight maneuvering, a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of, you know, argy bargy going on. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, but not like this not last extended. fight. Yeah. Not, not fighting Narek in a fighter that's apparently, you know, armed with twice as many guns for the, for the size that it is. Where so. both pilots are incredibly talented. But he's basically like like Rio. I mean, I know it's it like it's like a two story Winnebago with <laughs> rockets, like really big engines strapped on it <laughs> and guns. But either way, it's still like a big two story Winnebago, and the other guy's flying like a Ferrari with like a battleship cannon mounted to it. It's just insane. It's just like what? So yeah, so so it makes sense that Picard might get his brain shook up a little because. Even with the inertial dampening feels like that's the other thing too. Like people get like, oh, they need seat belts, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and it's like at at the speeds they're moving, and at the, like imagine if you were on a roller coaster that suddenly accelerated to you know seventeen thousand miles per hour and then took a hard left, mm. you know, and you're chunky salsa. Like that's just it. There's no stopping that. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have the inertial dampening fields and, the, you know, the space magic that keeps them all stuck to the floor and mm-hmm. keeps them from dying when the ship takes a hard turn or, you know, when that ship gets hit and rocks, mm-hmm. you know, 45 degrees sideways. The ship's 300 meters wide. <laughs> the guys on the end of that just went through like nine G's. Mm. Their brains are in their shoes. It's just, you know, so no, they have so they have the space magic that protects them. <laughs> but even the space magic is still exerting forces on you. I, I thought it was funny. Uh, it actually struck me as funny that um, Agnes called it turbulence. Yeah. Because turbulence is an atmospheric concept. <laughs> right, but they're skipping off of, like, space. Yeah. <laughs> so they're getting, you know... But also just that very thing. It's like, listen, uh, we needed to calibrate our stuff to get this right because if we don't, we're going to get, you know, scattered. Just be like, are they going to find the wreckage? No, they're not going to find the wreckage. <laughs> You're not going to find the wreckage. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, we've got these three solar systems are showing this really strange, like just slightly higher, you know, like one in a zillion parts per zillion duranium. And mm. yeah, no, you get scattered, like just mm. torn apart and scattered across a couple of light years. Your little ship is not going to show up at all. Mm. That's going to be like, hey, I found a piece of dust. <laughs> How many more pieces of dust are there? I don't know. There's a whole lot. I look forward to seeing more of these scents. I'll I'll be honest. Um, maybe we'll get to know a few more of them. Well, I hope so. I hope this isn't going to be just sort of a, you know, like, oh, look, the evil. Because I still say, what if they're both wrong and the evil is actually like, okay, we're here to destroy the scents and the people who create scents. Right. Like, you think, you think we're on your side. Now you think that we're on your side and you're fighting each other and we're just done listening They'll come to in and, and play both sides or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, just come in and just be like, like, we gave you the technology to start this war. We gave you the reason to fear them starting this war. And we don't like any of you, so we're going to start over. I mean, this was a group of <laughs> beings that was able to put, artificially create a uh, eight-star system, so... <laughs> You right, know. right. 
Wow. So yeah. So anyway, no, very excited. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. I'm hoping to get in some more coverage of Star Wars The Clone Wars in the coming days, so look for that. There's a lot to catch up on. And next week, Hoot and I will be back to talk about the season finale of Star Trek Picard. Currently, we host on Anchor.fm and aggregate to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, let others know where to find us so we can keep boosting the signal on this podcast. On the socials, you can follow me on Twitter at Jedi Jacori and on YouTube at Jacori. That's J-I-C-O-R-I. Until next episode, be safe out there.